one of the things that's really been coming up for me is the importance of really uprooting all forms of aversion. And in this situation, we can certainly, we have plenty of input that can uh, bring up fear and perhaps anger, which can be, you know, felt as resentment, any kind of um, negativity, Righteous indignation is often a favorite, Um, but it can also be just irritation, especially as we're in close quarters with the people in our life for such a long time or um, dealing with these different circumstances that are, are happening now. And the the point of why it's so important to really practice with this has a much bigger context in terms of awakening. Of course, the three poisons are greed, hatred, and delusion. And the um, the path to awakening with its four levels um, once we've entered the stream um, and really developed unshakable faith in the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha and realized without a doubt that none of the five aggregates are self and we've given up on you know, mere practices um, being liberating in and of themselves then the next stage is a grand reduction, uh, super diminishment of greed and hatred. And it's it's not really measured, uh, this second level of awakening. But the third level is a complete disappearance of greed and hatred. And the the practice of really looking at all forms of aversion as they arise in our experience can be super productive and freeing. So it's preparing us for these stages of awakening and it's making our life so much better. And it's also, you know, they're they're kind of, they're not hard to see unlike working with ignorance direct, trying to work with ignorance directly, but working with all forms of hatred or aversion. I think of it more as aversion because I really, I really don't recall hating. Maybe I have, but so what is more prevalent is some kind of irritation or um, criticism being critical or judgmental. And we can kind of think of this as we start to investigate it. There are the behaviors, which might be criticizing someone or um, a little ridicule or gossip or even teasing 
or certain kinds of joking, blaming others or blaming ourselves. We have to remember that we can, this aversion can be aimed at ourselves as well and often is. You know, um, blaming ourselves, judging, um, self-recrimination, even comparing ourselves with others. Um, The Buddha talked about conceit as comparing and feeling ourselves above, so arrogance, um, or below others, or even the same. But it's it's all, if you look deeply at it, we might find that behind these ways of expressing our discontent, our dislike, our distaste, um, there is some element of of aversion. And that's really, it's like finding gold because then we can start to really look at how do I work with this? How can I eradicate this? So you might say the first step is to recognize that all of these forms of aversion are toxic. And we can feel like, well, I have to stand up for myself or I have to... um, you know, somehow be angry or critical um, to to have clarity or to have energy. But actually, it's um, they're all um, distortions. I was just reading like a definition of afflictive emotions. They distort our sense of reality. And they are um, a, a, a cause of suffering. So we suffer from this, and others around us do, as we express these um, feelings. So we have to start, of course, when practicing to, once we recognize that we want to uproot this, and when I like there, the Buddha often talks about uprooting it, you know, because it's not just like cutting it off. It's not just repressing um, what we might otherwise want to say or do, but it's looking behind it at the fear um, that might be there, at the desires that are um, being. Um, inhibited or repressed uh, that might be there and really seeing that we want to change the mind and change the habits um, that we have. And so once we have this really is right view about all these forms of aversion being toxic, And then we use mindfulness and clear comprehension, so wisdom, to make the determinations about what we're experiencing, what's really behind what we're doing. Um, Like 
you know, I mentioned that sometimes humor or joking has ill will behind it or has aversion behind it. And um, this is this is it's important to be able to see these things and to really um, uproot them. So understanding that they're unwholesome and understanding what they're rooted in. And then sometimes that's enough. Um, but then uh, enough for it to, like, fizzle out. But I find it really, really helpful to use the Brahma Viharas, the meditation that we just had, and our um, ability to bring forth these qualities as a healing balm and a, a complete set change in the mind. And it's, we have to be careful that we're not, like, repressing, because if there are feelings arising, we need to take care of those feelings, observe them, understand them, um, kind of feel them the way we talked about before, using the, the noble truths. But then we also need to have a new kind of pattern that we that we bring in and... You know, when we find ourselves being critical of someone, we might want to institute the habit of turning towards compassion and really trying to understand what's behind their actions. So these four Brahma-viharas are a fabulous package, you might say, because they really, uh, each of them is applicable in different situations such that there is no no moment, no circumstance in which at least one of them doesn't apply. So you can at any time bring in one of the Brahma-Viharas, one of these um, divine qualities, and utilize it. So it's useful to think of when they are most applicable. And in general, um, the rule of thumb is kind of metta is um, useful almost always, but particularly when things are going more or less well for people. And when there's suffering, usually it's compassion. But I think it's also possible to mix them, for them both to be there together. And we may find that with other combinations, too. And then appreciative joy is generally for the times when people are are doing good things, that there is good. Uh, and what we're focused on is the good um, in ourselves, in others, and what's happening in the world. But then when there's clearly things happening that are not good, that are unwholesome, that are harmful, then equanimity is the Brahma-vihara, the stability of mind, the 
the wisdom to understand this is the nature of samsara um, and have um, you know again I think that some of these qualities can be mixed together that you can um, have this stability of mind and compassion and so I I would really encourage looking at if it feels like the right thing um, at any point in time as we're walking through this period of sheltering at home and uh, sort of figuring out how our world works and can work um, under the circumstances we find ourselves in to be able to really address aversion as it arises in whatever form it is taking and um, develop a, a, a method. The Buddha was really all about method and because he wanted us to wake up. And in order to do that, we have to have some tools. So... Um, that was what I was thinking of and wanting to share. And now I'd really like to hear from you. Just um, whatever you'd like to say in response to what I just said or anything else. Just unmute your microphone when you want to speak. And hopefully everybody gets a chance um, during this next hour to check in. And if you'd like us to turn off the recording when you talk, just let us know. But I do think sometimes these things can be helpful for others. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, what I've been um, noticing, um, it's been three weeks now for me that I've been, been sheltering in place. And at the beginning, there was, for me, a, a lot of um, anxiety, uh, agitation, but as the time went on, um, I've, well, like like all of us, we're we're I'm stripped of a certain amount of the busyness that exists in my life, and I've just been able to be much more present and um, noticing whatever it is that's happening. And what's developed for me is really um, a lot of appreciation. Um, I have a comfortable home. I have lovely areas um, right around me to walk. Um, I have a partner who is who is 
we're very compatible. And I appreciate that. I've been able to connect so much with other people through FaceTime and different media and also have a little bit more connection to the Dharma, at least formally to the Dharma um, through experiences like this one. And, and there's just a lovely kind of calmness to my life right now. And as I said, I'm just very appreciative that's beautiful, Linda. I'm so happy for you. Uh, you can't see us, but the nuns are smiling over here. <laughs> <laughs> and probably everybody else is, too. Um, it's great. And um, I think I think for a lot of people, we hear from a lot of people that they really are benefiting from the slow, the slower pace and being able to have time, more time for reflection and quiet, like you said, walking in nature and, um, yeah, so that's great. I'm, I'm glad. And, um, and so it's like even with all these good conditions, even more, we have a chance to really see like the times when we, um, you know, do get a little irritable or anxious or whatever it is, and and then and then we have the the spaciousness to actually sit down and take a look, and this is such a benefit for our development on the path. So we can come out of this whole experience wiser and kinder and more appreciative and more resilient. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Okay, who's next? Um, this is Carrie in Berkeley. Hi, Carrie. Uh, hi, thank you for your talk. Um, it was so packed full. Um, I, are you going to make that recording available somewhere where I could listen to it again? Yes. Um, we are going to... We. Actually, I want to talk with you and Jaime about that <laughs> because I think you know how we're how we're supposed to be able to post things on our Dharma Seed um, kind of yeah. channel or area. Uh, so maybe we can talk about that later. But um, we also have it on our teachings um, page on our website. And we haven't posted last week's yet, but the first week is on the org website under teachings. There is um, a section on this particular meeting, how do I apply Dhamma to this? And you'll find that we'll be, reporting, we'll be posting the recordings there. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I, really, um, I really loved, because I've also noticed the way that uh, Brahma Viharas uh, and the five aggregates, and well, actually, let me not say that because I'm not sure. Aversion, greed, hatred, and delusion, how closely they are woven together. Um, so I, I, I really appreciated the way that you talked about that. Um, as we, as I was listening to your talk and as I was sitting, 
one of the problems that I've had with compassion when I'm doing the phrases, for example, is I would go right into um, may all beings be happy and then my whole body would contract with no, no, you know, so many people are suffering, you know, and, and I would get so caught up in that. Um, but now I'm realizing that that's where equanimity really needs to feed in. Yes, so many people really are suffering and I can also yearn for them to have some peace because that's been very hard peace for me to put together the reality um, and my yearning for people to feel better. So I'm kind of coming along with that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. And and isn't it amazing that the Buddha always talked about these, or almost always talked about these four together, that you develop all four of them. Mm-hmm. And the tendency a lot of times is to just focus on metta or just focus on, you know, one, one of them. So that's great. It's a great observation. Yeah, and the other one that's been hard for me is um, sympathetic joy, um, Mudita. Yeah, Mudita. Um, I, what works for me is simply to feel into the absence of envy. Um, and, and that's kind of my road into that. Because the absence of envy, to me, naturally would lead to sympathetic joy. And because of my insecurities, I often have some aversion or some ill will or some envy when other people are feeling joy. So that's the part that I'm tuning into is, am I feeling envy here? Or can I really feel this without envy? Yeah, that's great. That's great. And the Buddha, you know, in the Pali language, the way you talk about the opposite of something is mm-hmm. to add an A on the front of the word, right? Mm-hmm. So when he talked about ill will, for example, then he talked about non-ill will or cruelty and non-cruelty. So if you talk, and, and that's kind of, it, it's got a different feeling to it. Um, non-ill will, yes, it leads to goodwill, but mm-hmm. it it almost feels broader mm-hmm. and have the neutral in there too. Yeah. So yeah. I think the non envy is good. <laughs> good way to approach it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, this is Jesse. Hi, Jesse. How are you doing? Yeah, this has been... I was just thinking about aversion and how, you know, if if we, if we this was something to vote on, I, I would have voted against it. Like, I don't think anyone would choose this situation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whether that be the rain or coronavirus. Um, so I've just been... I have been reflecting on that over the over the days. I mean, it's a great opportunity to be with what is, to deepen my practice, 
Um, and so I have a lot of time to contemplate that. I'm really grateful for this call and a lot of other meditation teachers are, are doing things online. So for those seeking the Dharma, I mean, it's really actually, you know, been a great opportunity for my personally, for my practice. Um, I wanted to ask about something that came up in the last call about gladdening the mind. You've mentioned this before. Um, I'm just wondering if you could say exactly what that is, gladdening the mind. How is it different from craving? And how is that something we could turn to, you know, when we feel aversion to start gladdening the mind or is that more of a meditation practice? I definitely think we can use it when we start feeling aversion. It's not just a meditation practice. And even mm-hmm. though, like today, that we we did this as a guided meditation, we can do this all the time. We should do it all the time. So, like, if we if we walk around with a mind uh, filled with loving kindness or compassion or joy or equanimity all the time, um, of course, there's mindfulness there too. And there's wisdom there too, um, but. It's like this is the way of um you know this is the way the gods the devas live <laughs> this is mm-hmm. this is really encouraged, and yes, gladdening the mind at those specific words are a translation I think um Bhikkhu Bodhi certainly uses it, but other translators probably do too. Gladdening the mind is a phrase that comes up in the instructions on mindfulness of in and out breathing and it's in the the third tetrad so it's it's pretty far, far along um in the in the practice and it's uh this uplifting the mind and um you know in in the meditation uh when you check in on your mind and you see you know, what's going on in there. Maybe it's tight, uh, contracted, or whatever its state is. The Buddha says, then the next thing is to lift it up higher, gladden it, bring joy into it. Um, and his some of, the, some of the methods for that are to really think about our refuges, the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, um, or like I, I think I talked about the the six um, reflections for that. <clears throat> and so the answer, the the way I think is it's important to practice these things, not just when we're in meditation, but also when we're moving through our life. Uh, our, our formal sitting practice or walking, whatever posture we use, our formal practice should be a basis and support for our minds the rest of the time and to apply as much of what we do on the cushion uh, to our waking, moving life as as we can. So it's true that if we spend time in these um, divine abidings when we're meditating on the cushion, then we've got a better chance of catching the aversion when it arises um, the sadness that might arise, which is also something to be 
sadness too is something to be overcome, to be um, let go of. It's another part of, you know, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. These are things that the Buddha was trying to encourage us to leave behind. And the Brahma Viharas help us do that. So you catch that tone, that feeling tone of um, not liking, uh, wanting to get rid of, being unhappy, and we bring in what gladdens the mind, what uplifts the mind, what brings joy. So, you know, a lot of people use gratitude practice. You know, it's like, wow, I have so much to be grateful for. Um, you know, I think I might have even mentioned before that one friend, uh, we were talking on the phone, and she said that, you know, when she, in this situation, every day that she's alive, she's happy. And every moment that she breathes, she feels happy. And it's like if we can be happy in these really basic, simple things, um, then we we can really begin to change the patterns that we we've probably been practicing all our lives of self-criticism, of um, focusing on what could go wrong and feeling afraid of, um, you know, the mind running out into the future or back into the past to some bad memory or some, um, you know, painful experience or, you know, like I said, what we fear might fear coming from, coming in the future. And instead, be in the present moment and really, like, look at look around us. There's so much to be grateful for. So, yes, every minute <laughs> we can use this practice. Is that um, enough of a description of how? Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering if, so are the four Brahma Viharas one of the six reflections for gladdening the mind, or is that a separate thing? It's a separate, different thing. Okay. So, um, there was this monk in Thailand that was this great monk from England who lived with Ajahn Mahabuo, who was this awesome um, Thai forest monk. Uh, he lived there like 40 years or something, and he said that Buddha is all about method. So when I say that, I'm really quoting him. Um, and then you see it, of course, in the suttas all over the place. The Buddha is giving us tools. He's giving us methods. He's... Um, you know, doing everything possible to give us what we need in order to wake up because we have to do that work. The Buddha couldn't do it for us. And, um, you know, so where was I going with that? What did you ask? <laughs> um, about the Brahma Viharas, the four oh, Brahma Viharas, six reflections. That's right. It's not... It's not um, in the six recollections or reflections, that's the, you know, the qualities, the wonderful qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, our own virtue, our own generosity, and how our own virtue and generosity are like the virtue and generosity of the devas and the devas themselves and how our wisdom, our learning, how that might be like the devas and but the Brahma Viharas are a different um, 
a different tool, a different method. And the Buddha gave many different methods because we can apply them at different times and in different ways, uh, a really complete tool kit. So we don't have to use the hammer on everything. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. Anyone It's Allison here. Can you hear me? Yes, Allison, I can hear you. So I'm going back to gratitude and um, being so grateful for being in a safe position. And I'm finding this actually easier than the power outages. I'm so grateful I have heat. I have hot water. I have internet. I have a refrigerator. There's so many things that I have. And uh, like the other person. I'm also thinking about renunciation and using uh, the wonderful nuns I know as as an inspiration. But, you know, just going to the grocery store and uh, I I, I tried not to go too much. I made it for two weeks. And then when I went, uh, I was so excited. (laughs) I was so grateful. The other time I went two weeks ago, there were no cleaning supplies. And this time I got so happy when I was able to buy a sponge. <laughs> so um, I do have these little moments of joy. But then, you know, when I got home, I, I said, yeah, there were a few things I couldn't get. And then I, I circled them on my list to, you know, make a new list or think about getting them. And, you know, I didn't mind it. I, there were 11 items that I could not purchase but it was like, so what? I don't really, I mean, it would be nice to have this stuff, but I don't need it. And I can manage without it. And um, yeah, I think it's really, it's really brought to the surface just, I mean, I know how privileged we all are living in this country. Pretty much if I want something, if I can afford it, I just go get it. I, You know, it's, so this, this is really, really good to see 
you know, A, how most people in the world don't live like that, and B, I don't really need all this stuff. If I can have it, that's nice, but I don't have to have it. And I'm hoping that it will help me reduce um, more my impact on the global uh, climate crisis and, and, you know, everything else. Just, just kind of renunciation, I think, is, um, is not a painful thing. Uh, it's just been um, kind of a little bit of an insider and awakening. And so, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Yes, renunciation is trading up <laughs> and letting go of things and letting go of of our own um, inhibitions, those things that inhibit us from awakening. So that's great. I, too, have hopes that we'll all be um, better citizens of the world and easier on nature as a result of this. We'll see how it goes. Thank you for that sharing. You're welcome. I also have a solution for you if you do have uh, your power goes out for a period of time, you can hang out here where when you're off the grid, you don't even notice that the power gets shut off. (laughs) Well, um, we now have a backup battery for our solar system, so it doesn't cover the whole house, but we will have internet and a refrigerator, so that's that's the best. (laughs) Ah, Nice. (laughs) Okay. I think that's it for me. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Thanks, Allison. Should I start calling on people? (laughs) Oh. My sister says no. Should I take the silence as an indication that people are doing pretty well? Hello. Hello. This is John. I'm here with my wife, Mariko. Hello, Mariko and John. Hello. Um. And we wanted to ask, um, there is a lot of gratitude uh, regarding the way that life is now, not only just the slowing down and the sense of um, abundance 
Um, but there's also um, a sense that almost, almost as if the world is better off for our sort of staying inside, um, not polluting the atmosphere, not um, not uh, interfering so much with the ways of of nature. Um, we're kind of letting a large part of the world alone and not um, having such an impact on it by slowing down and um, hunkering down. And so there are some mixed feelings about the possibility of, of it all returning to normal in the future and us going back outside, getting back in our cars, um, polluting the atmosphere, um, uh, using more, interfering more with um, nature and wildlife. Um, and so there's, there's some mixed feelings. And I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts about how to deal with, with those. Yes. I think it's great that we have mixed feelings and that it motivates us to really evaluate our choices and our actions. So how much of what we're finding valuable can we retain through our own excuse me, through our own choices. And you know, we we may feel, well, what good does it do if I can't also make those choices for uh, the other sort of 7 billion people? But that I think we should not, not concern ourselves with that uh, so much, but to really look at, well, how do I want to do things differently now when I have the option of going out whenever I want to, when I have the option of taking a flight to who knows where or whatever, remembering how happy and contented we could be without those choices, without those options, and take responsibility for it for ourselves. And, you know, instead of the, re the renunciation being um, put upon us, that now that we've had a taste of it, we see the value that we can choose it. And there's actually a, a lot of strength that develops in the mind from making those choices. So I think it's great. I think it's great that we're seeing that we can do with less. And we can not just do with less, but that when we're less busy, there's our life is richer we're happier, and you know, we can live more simply, um, and, it, and it's freeing. So I, I don't know, you know what your particular uh, options might be. Um, I think for people who have been working, going into work all the time, uh, once they spend a few months working from home, they might really... Um, you know, push for or initiate or wish to keep some element of that going, at least part of the time, a larger part of the time. 
um, spending time at home, integrating work and home life and exercise and rest more instead of these compartments and being stuck in traffic (laughs) and being more busy and then, you know, depending on what our particular situation is, you know, we may have a lot of latitude in how we conduct our life. Um, I really find it amazing as I look back on my life of when I was a lay person and you know, I had a, um, a family, and I was raising my kids, and I had a career, and I had, you know, all these things that people do. I had all these activities, busy so much, and so much stuff. And, you know, now I'm a nun, and there's very little stuff, by comparison, certainly, And I don't do, like, there's all these activities, and I don't miss any of it at all. And it's like, we all have this opportunity now to experience something like that. Like, you know, am I going to miss, what am I going to miss if I give it up? Not much, probably. We need food, clothing, shelter, medicine, water companionship, friendship on the path, you know. So I think it's great, John. I think it's a great reflection. And I think we need to change personally if we want to wake up. And this experience that we're having, this massive change worldwide that's going on right now, If we don't pay attention, we'll just try to snap it right back to the old ways. But if we pay attention to those mixed feelings and we make the right choices, we we can only start with ourselves and be an example and um, really, really do the things that make us happy and more content. Can I follow that up with Yes, please do. So I I guess what you just said about, you know, we can only change ourselves, that's that's part of the quandary is um, the sense that even if I myself um, and others of like mind are are learning from this experience in that way, um, it's probably an unfortunate reality that there are are many, many others, um, uh, neighbors, um, people in government, people in business who will not be learning from this experience in the same way and will just snap right back to the old ways of doing things and and, the impact that has on the earth and and other people. Um, And and that's part of, I guess, the mixed feeling, the, the sense of anger and judgment towards those who will just snap right back to the old ways and and how to deal with that. Yeah, this is really important. Um, It's important to realize that we don't have control over samsara. We don't have control over other people. And that's a real um, relief a lot of the time because 
we can just go, okay, someone else's problem. I can't do anything about that. Um, and, you know, we can we can certainly imagine a more peaceful world, a better world. But if what arises in us is anger and criticism and judgment about what they're doing, that's the place we have to do the work. And like you said, how do I deal with that? First, we have to see that no matter how correct our ideas are about how people should act or how we all should act as a world community, that we actually can't make anybody do anything. We have to do for ourselves. And if we're, if our mind has any of these aversive qualities, we're adding to the hatred in the world. We have to make sure that we look at that and really build up the equanimity factor. So we're, there's wisdom there. Equanimity is a wisdom factor. And you see the truth. You see the way it is. You see that greed, hatred, and delusion are not going to disappear. Uh, this is samsara. Uh, this world has greed, hatred, and delusion as kind of a, that's the entry requirement. You don't come here if you don't have that. That's kind of the idea. <laughs> Develop the Brahma Viharas and go somewhere else next time. <laughs> but it's like um, at some level we have to come to peace with the fact that the world is not going to, um, suddenly be so much better. And yet, we have a lot of, we can have influence on one another. So while we can only control our own body, speech, and mind, the Buddha said, as I say this often, so you might have heard it before, but the Buddha said the most powerful external external force on a human being is another human voice. So if we eliminate hatred and aversion and anger, if we practice renunciation and all kindness, compassion, and etc., if we do that and we speak in favor of doing that and we are the example of doing that, then there is some influence on other people it really does make a difference so yes we have to deal with it and I hope that's enough on how really seeing it first bringing mindfulness and wisdom to it um, looking at whatever it might be rooted in Wanting things to be different than they are is suffering. That's dukkha. Accepting the way things are and making the choices that will improve our own mind and bring in happiness, joy, etc. That is so useful. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
This is Carrie in Berkeley. I don't want to hog the floor, um, but I, I, if that's okay, I would like to just follow up a little bit on what both John and Allison have said. Sure. Uh, uh, I also did two weeks worth of shopping. I'm, I'm retired, so I'm home a lot. So um, the being home isn't a big change, but I'm finding myself caught up in a busyness of, I shopped for two weeks and then there's the disinfecting of the cardboard and the glass and there's the washing of the vegetables. And I'm finding myself bringing a nervous tension and not, not giving myself enough time for self-care. So I'm just realizing it's kind of a weird thing to say, but I'm kind of grateful we're going to be locked down for another four weeks because I thought, okay, I can use this opportunity to be, make it a retreat and walk back and forth in the garden. But the reality is, for me, this retreat is looking at how I bring tension to what I do in my day. Hooray! And, yeah, maybe take four weeks to like watch how that happens and see what my other choices could be. Yes, yes, yes. That's why this is actually a... I don't know, I was going to say better than a retreat, but it's an important kind of other kind of practice experience. Retreats are important too, but this is great because this is integrated. It's like monastic life. It's integrated. Um, it's not like you, you get some really concentrated, concerted retreat time, but most of the time the practice has to be really integrated in everything. So you feel that tension that you're bringing to something, sit down. Let the mind settle. Let the heart settle. Bring the mind to what's really important here. That's right. I don't have to watch wash every vegetable right now. No. Sit down. <laughs> I've heard that the coronavirus cannot walk away on its own. It'll stay right there wherever it's been left. And as long as you don't touch that and then touch your face, you're fine. <laughs> so... So, yeah, um, just stop. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hello, Misty. Hi. How um, are you? I'm doing good. Um, um, you know, initially I was very stressed out about the numbers and watching the numbers. And um, now, I, like you said before, I do it once a day. And um, um, initially it was very intense um but now i feel um a, a lot more peaceful yeah good 
and um, it would be nice if we could do this like once a year uh, collectively, like mm-hmm. without like people getting sick. But um, yeah, if, if we don't have the threat 30, of death, we're not going to slow down. I don't think <laughs> thirty days once a year, you know, to just let the planet um, heal. Yeah, let ourselves heal. Mm. Yeah, but thank you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I I found that now I forget to look once a day sometimes. And uh, I think that's a good sign. I haven't forgotten that people are suffering. Um, But I I don't really need to be so, um, yeah, so connected. Just connect on the heart level and dip in occasionally to the to the data. Yeah, month a year. How about if we propose that we do that instead of Christmas? Okay, maybe not. <laughs> I agree with I think that would be wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, just totally cut out. Yeah, cut out all the busyness and the yeah. I think this is what Christmas is kind of meant to be. I don't know, like ah, yes, yes. <laughs> more about people and less about stuff. People helping one another and yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Good morning, uh, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can. Good morning. So um, I want to share this, and uh, if there's anything that you would uh, share in return, that would be great. Um, so this is a really interesting practice experience for me, Um because on the one hand, um, uh, along the lines of what other people have said this morning, um, you know, I, I have really appreciated this time to not be so busy, to slow down, to be, uh, you know, uh, retreating in, in different ways. Uh, because I, I, I work as a medical interpreter, and so there are almost no in-person appointments happening right now because most of the things I do are not um, emergency or urgent. And so work has pretty much um, you know, uh, stopped, for all, almost stopped for all intents and purposes. So I'm not running around. Um, you know, I am watching the mind it be so much more um, uh well, a lot happier in so many moments with the ability to uh, study and practice and connect with people more than I normally can. And just a lot of um, lovely, uh, you know, results from all this. And it coincides with the fact that um, I, I'm 66 and I really wanted to begin thinking of 
of uh, starting to take my retirement and uh, and not work, or at least not work so much or have any pressure or anxiety about it. I was really, really thinking that and kind of really starting to look forward to it. And given the situation, um, I have lost in my retirement uh, account, um, well, now it's over a quarter of what I had uh, in terms of my whole life as a, as a teacher. I, I was, you know, had my retirement built up. And so I've lost um, what for me, considering what I had in there, was a tremendous amount of money, um, uh, which would affect how much I would receive per month when I start uh, taking it. So, you know, I have what I just described before, the positive. And then as I watch my retirement account bleed <laughs> and I don't know how much longer it's going to keep bleeding. The very last thing that I really uh, lately have been thinking that I should do is, is stop working. And should I take the money I have and run? Of course, everyone is advising stay the course, stay the course and so forth. <clears throat> Pardon me. So I, I happened to look at the portfolio this morning and I've lost even $4,000 just over the past few days. And I watched the terror uh, and the fear, of course, in the body. I, I, I just watched, I'm watching it all just arise so, so intensely. Um, and of course, if I, if I don't look at the portfolio and if I can, if I let go of the narrative, I'm, Okay, I mean, I know that it's there, but I am so much more afraid of what is going to happen to me if I lose too much more money. And I'm way more afraid of that than of the virus itself. I don't really have too much fear about the virus. So I have these two things going. And and I'm, of course, doing Brahma Vihara practice and equanimity would be more equanimity be wonderful right now and compassion, of course, for myself as well as for everyone else. But as this money drains away, I'm just getting to see these different levels of, of, of fear and clinging. And of course, a lot of it's justified. I mean, I'm getting older and you need money to live. And it's just been... Um, it's just amazing to me because I don't know what to do. I don't know whether to act on it, to not act on it. And all the fear and the terror and everything else is just, you know, kind of static in the mind. And so I'm kind of just sitting with it. But I have to say, um, and there's anger around it, uh, everything that I've worked for my whole life, you know, my tendency to blame people, people in power, all that sort of thing. And it's... Um, it's just, it's just kind of profound, you know, seeing what this is doing in me. Um, I'm using all my methods. I, you know, I mean, I have a lot of inner resources. I, you know that. And I have things at my disposal in terms of my practice. But it's just, it's just, um, well, I think you just said sometimes the, uh, another human voice is a very powerful force. So maybe if you could just, say something that would mm, encourage me to open more deeply to what's happening regardless of what I actually decide to do. 
about the money. Yes. This is hard. And the degree of suffering that you're experiencing is directly related to the degree of attachment and the the misguided belief that the physical world provides a refuge, that the bank account can provide a refuge. So, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. You don't even know if you would, even if that money was completely all intact, you don't know if you'd ever be able to use it. Really. We don't know if we're going to live past tomorrow. We don't need the coronavirus for that. I'm 66, too. My dad my dad died when he was 69. He was totally healthy before that, as far as we could tell. You might not need that money. Look on the bright side. <laughs> but, but really, you know, like, really look at the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha as your refuge. What if all of the money goes away? What's the worst that could happen? Some loving Sangha member takes you into their home and takes care of you. So what? It's just the material. We have to keep our eye on Nibbana. And and the 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 bleeding of the bank account isn't the problem. It's the it's the fear and the anger. That's what's got to be uprooted, because that you'll take with you, and you'll go through this again in the next life. Who wants that? <laughs> you can do this, Carrie, but this this is where the rubber meets the road. When stuff starts getting taken away from us that we counted on, then we know we've, we've put our our counting in the wrong place. It's really good. This is really good that that's happening. And if you let it sit there, it might, you know, turn, return to some likeness of its former self. Who knows? But by then, I hope you won't care. <laughs> you know, I was just recalling uh, Ajahn Jayasaro said to me when I was wanting to become a nun and and my biggest concern was my daughter um, for various reasons that I won't go into now, but I was concerned that she was so upset that I wanted to do this. And I and I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to give her the kind of support that I felt was appropriate for me to give her as a mother. And I was talking about this with Ajahn Jayasaro, and he said, well, it wouldn't be renunciation if it didn't have a wrench in it. <laughs> and and the wrench, that's that's what teaches us. So don't give way to the fear, the anger, the whatever. Don't give way to that. See it for what it is. It's defilement. It's dukkha. How do we work with dukkha? The Four Noble Truths. How do we work with those feelings of, you know, insecurity? You go to the true refuge. 
and and you can do this. You don't need that money. <laughs> it's a hard lesson. But it's not as bad as continuing in the same idea that somehow we're going to get something from this world. I can't argue with that. Good. (laughs) You're on the right track. (laughs) Thank you, Anya. Thank you. This is Carol. Hello, Carol. Hi. Well, I'm hoping my money comes back. (laughs) (laughs) But I do. (laughs) Um, This was so interesting today. As you know, I made a decision not to bake cookies for my landlord. (laughs) Uh, Are you reconsidering? No, no, I'm not actually. Oh, the whole thing has is unfolding in a in a very interesting way. In uh, January, I'm I'm a renter and I'm 77 years old, and I've um, brought a few actions against the landlord because he's he I've lived here for 20 years and uh, and he's not getting as much rent as he could if he could just. Um, get me to move out but so we had our last hearing in January and uh, there was they lied so much but I had put in what I my you know the actual email correspondence and we were supposed to have a decision by the end of uh, March but of course who knows when it's going to be coming so my rent has kind of frozen at the at the old level and I have been, you know, what you were talking about this morning, um, I am much closer to kind of my uh, feelings. And I, I do live alone, so I should say that too. And it's been a very interesting uh, time. I And I have actually started doing Meta for the landlord. <laughs> and it does make me feel better. And I can see um, kind of what's behind uh, the fear that's behind his actions, because there are actually, I believe, several people in this building now who've really lost their jobs, so they they have no income. And at least I was already retired, so I had Social Security and had kind of set it up in a, a way that, you know, was uh, workable. So I, it, it, for me, it's not that adjustment of just being cut off from all income. So I can, I actually do, I can um, get to the point where I can um, empathize with the landlord to a certain extent. Great. <laughs> Well, it seems like a real development. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, yeah. He's not going to be able to get those folks out who can't pay the rent because they're unemployed either at this point. 
I know because we have a um, um, moratorium here on evictions for yeah. the next couple of months in Oakland. So it's a very uh, it's a very rich time, I have to say, um, for watching my mind and um, working with it. Mm-hmm. Great. And to, and today, really, I hope you do put the meditation on the website fairly soon because I'd like to use it. Um, the Brahma Vihara meditation I thought was great this morning. Okay, I'll I'll try to get that one up as soon as possible. Great. Well, I keep thinking about making cookies. You might get to that point. <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> That's a far reach. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well. <laughs> Thanks for sharing, Carol. I'm glad you're doing okay. It's uh, 12 o'clock, kind of time for the Coonies to go have their meal. We have until 1 these days, so this is all working out fine. Um, I really appreciate you coming and um, practicing all your practice, adding to the good in the world. And I hope you have a good week. Um, You're always welcome to call us if you um, think we can help you with something. And our number is on the website. Just take care. Take good care of yourselves. And through that, you're caring for the world. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.